1: you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner.
2: Hello, welcome to another episode of Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. And uh, we are continuing to make our way down the final stretch of the season toward the playoffs and once again talking about Slide. Now, the Wild got a win before our last podcast, so we were saying, it's all set, we're okay, they're back in good shape, and just head on into the playoffs feeling good, but since then, Judd, over the last week, it has been more of the same of the Minnesota Wilds struggling over this final stanza of the
0: season. It actually got worse, because so they beat the Sharks um, a week ago, and Boudreaux was asked after that game, do you feel good now? And he said very wisely. Let's see two of these or three of these in a row. They come back on Thursday and start a stretch of games against non playoff teams. They lose to the Flyers on Thursday at home in what is a lifeless effort. They come back on Saturday against a Vancouver team that's just god awful, right? They lose that game in in what I thought was if any of these games during the streak have been reminiscent of the yo type losses, which is what the hell are you doing out there? It was that game. Boudreaux melts down, and so that that leads us into another uh, non-playoff team, Detroit on Sunday. They lose in overtime, but at least in that loss, they looked halfway decent. So now we are left with a a thread with nine games left of, well, you looked really, really bad again. You seem to at least care against Detroit. And so the question now comes back to, is this team about to to turn a corner in a good way, Collar, or are we going to go back and see them regress once again? Well, up until... Now, I have had
2: almost no concerns. I have said. You've been very calm. Yes, very calm and said, look, none of this really matters. It doesn't matter if you win the Central because. No team that's won the Stanley Cup since they changed the playoff format has even won their division, which says a lot about the playoff format, says a lot about the league, but that's the truth. So who cares if they end up getting past Chicago or not? There was the one year where Chicago, everyone said, oh, they're they're falling off, they're not what they used to be, look where they are in the standings in the regular season, and yet when it came playoff time, they stepped up and won. So I also thought this regression is natural for a team that was shooting so high of a percentage, Mikko Koivu comes to mind first, double his usual shooting percentage sure. over the last few years. And Mikhail Granlin, too, playing a different game than he had played before being on the wing, but still over the last couple of years compared to now, a much higher shooting percentage. So some of these were going to come back to life, and I still believe in that. But there are two things that now I would say I'm a little concerned about and they sort of tie together. The first one is with Bruce Boudreaux, and if he is starting to get as angry as he looks when his head is uh, turning beet red after games... There are different shades of Bruce Red. <laughs> yeah. There well, are. Especially when you press him so hard with your tough questions. Oh, yeah, games. I
0: really go for the jugular. What was your question that, that got him going? Oh, a- after the uh, the loss to the Canucks, I simply asked, what's next? Because you've tried all, all these different things. Because they lost to... Uh, the Flyers on Thursday, and so on Friday that they were scheduled to practice, and he decided I'm going to instead have them watch a game from December and the Flyers game back-to-back and show them what they were doing right and then wrong, and then he had a very brief, I think, optional skate on Friday. So I basically said, what do you do next? Do you now have them, them practice hard? And indeed, he said at the end of that press conference, I can tell you what, being Mr. Nice Guy, not working, they'll practice hard from now on. And that's
2: exactly what my concern is, because this is a team that has had a really tough final stretch in terms of schedule-wise. And if you don't believe in any of this stuff when it comes to the health of your team, I will point out that over the last 5 6 years the two healthiest teams in the NHL have been Chicago and LA and they've got most of the Stanley Cups it's just it's a direct correlation between how healthy you are and whether you succeed or fail and i would also carry that over to say it's also how rested you are and what your schedule looks like this has been an incredibly difficult and jam-packed schedule and I don't want to see Bruce Boudreaux overreact to some lifeless efforts here in games that don't matter. And we know this. The statistics will show you this. If you're in the third period of a game where you're up, pretty pretty well up, you're going to get outplayed 100% of the time in the NHL. And every coach will say, no, I tell him to keep playing hard. Right. But it's just human nature to take a little bit off when you're all set. And so they're in the playoffs already. They've known they were going to be in the playoffs for a long time. So the culmination of these factors being worn down, being overworked over this last stretch, also probably taking the foot off the gas pedal a little bit, knowing where they are. And then some other things that they couldn't help, like the mumps that that we brought up. But it concerns me if Bruce Boudreaux is taking this so personally and seriously that he's going to now work them harder because that is not what they need.
0: I think what he doesn't like and, and we're, I agree with with at least his frustration. Is this he sees a team, and this goes? This has been a problem for years now. Here, he sees a team that has nobody in that room who can who can lead, basically. And so when they start to go into slides, it's this "woe is me." You know, we're tired. We're blah. Everybody's tired. Now, now we we could certainly get into a conversation about certain guys and and their use because I think that there is merit there. But I think his frustration goes to being he was basically told, I'm sure when he took this job, what this team was all about, mm. and then I think he sort of saw it in in November, and they struggled a little bit at times, and I mean a little bit, and then they got hot and they played so well for so long, and if they had had uh, collar, if they had had a bad week, bad week and a half, you know what? That that's a slump. I think what bothers him is he has basically seen a bad month and you've seen some games you've seen some games where they played stupid hockey now that's not to be confused with with the, the Chicago games where i think they played pretty well i mean Dubnik gives, gives up two bad goals in that loss at chicago but they came back and outplayed them outshot them you lost okay that's fine but i'm telling you where i think the frustration boiled over definitely was home games philadelphia and the canucks back to back two two teams i mean in the canucks case you're talking about a bad team and they they essentially no-showed those games. So I think Boudreaux's frustration is wrapped up in, in the performance by this team. What I think is intriguing, and, and where this gets to be a very nuanced discussion, though, is it's a lot of individual parts. I mean, we could lump this whole thing together, and there's, there's frustration there. But this also is, is a lot of individual parts of, of veteran players players who used to be young who aren't now i mean charlie coyle i'm sorry charlie coyle is no longer young charlie coyle's been in this league long enough where he should be far more productive but i think it's all the pieces to the puzzle that that are frustrating uh bruce because when he looks at this whole thing i think he begins to see okay i am now seeing and identifying what people talked about previously and that's the problem
2: and i agree with a lot of that, especially with Charlie Coyle, where he has just become a no-show when he was supposed to be a guy that could step up in big situations, right? That was one of the things that they had hoped for him, power especially forward. right being the yeah, power forward, yes. that he would be the one to kind of take it upon himself. And also I'd like to point out that what's Chris Stewart got in his last 30
0: games? Actually, healthy scratch against Detroit on Sunday. I believe for the first time this year that he's been a healthy scratch, if I'm not mistaken.
2: So Chris Stewart becoming the Chris Stewart that I said that he you would predicted. become. Well, I mean, I've seen the guy play for a long time. This is what he is. He is dead last in the league. Dead last in terms of how good his team is with him and without him in possession. Dead last. So he is dragging his team down when he's out there by making, we saw this in the Shark game. They were up, they're playing really well, and he has a boneheaded turnover that leads to a two-on-one for two good players for the Sharks going the other way. Yep. It's like, that just cannot happen. Makes a dumb pass. You yes. cannot be a risky player when you're a fourth liner. And that's kind of what you're getting into. But every one of these guys, they all have their certain flaws that we've seen. Yep. And when they all kind of click in at the same time,
0: they kind of exacerbate each other's but that's flaws. That's what's weird about it. They, th- this team has this tendency mm-hmm. of exactly that. I mean, I get it if a line struggles our defensive pair struggles, but what's weird about this team is they have the uncanny ability to all go south almost simultaneously. If you look at at this right now, Eric Stahl is scoring, and everybody else Mm -hmm. is going backwards. I would say this, though, and this is going to be point number two of where I
2: actually am concerned, that all that's true, and many guys have shrunk over the last month, and all at the same time, and it has happened year after year, but... A few times along the way, if you get a big performance, if you get a couple of saves, you are winning two to one games. And every game was not five to one for the Wild early in the season. When they were on winning streaks, now and then they would have to win kind of an ugly one. They would have to win one where they weren't perfect, where they made mistakes, but Devin Dubnik bailed them out
0: he was unbelievable through
2: his first i ran this through his first 38 games which was the first uh, i think three months of the season he
0: had a 936 save percentage vesna and Hart contender
2: no question especially early in the season when they did have some struggles and we did see them sputter a little bit he got them through that and and kept them at the top of the central that is entirely stopped happening yes since even just even before they really went on the streak he was still fading February, february the it starts to go down, right? Yep. And and so I looked at his even strength numbers because that tells you a lot more, I think, than the power play. Power plays can get hot and cold. We see this all the time. Penalty kills, the same thing. Bad luck, uh, tips, whatever. It's uh, very hard for goalies when you're trying to judge on power play save percentage. So remove that sure. and just look at the five-on-five. And his numbers from the start of the season till now have just gone down and down and down and down and gotten progressively worse, as opposed to, in the past, his chart would more look like a roller coaster, going up and down, like most goalies look like, where they have a hot month, an average month, a hot month, an average month. That's even Henrik Lundqvist will have his times where he's down a bit. But when a guy has been going down and down and down and down, month after month, and then he plays the most games that he's played in any month so far here in March, that makes me wonder, is he getting progressively more tired? I mean, some of it had to be luck, right? If you've got a save percentage that matches up with Dominic Hashik in his prime, some of that was luck.
0: But he was was fantastic.
2: He was was terrific, and he has not been since, and it's kind of been a long time now since he's really been
0: terrific. And and here's your problem. So the question becomes this. (laughs) He was supposed to rest, uh, so they lost, I believe, a week ago or two weeks back to the Capitals in Washington. They then play Carolina. The plan is to rest Dubnik and start Kemper. But because they're on a slide and just lost, and because Dubnik's not playing fantastic, Boudreaux decides, no, I'm going to start Dubnik. Uh, fast forward, then the they play Dubnik starts against the Rangers on a Saturday night here. They lose again 4-3, I believe. And so Kemper is supposed to start the second game back to back against the Jets makes perfect sense. Once again, Boudreaux says to himself, well, we're struggling and he's not playing great. Starts Dubnik. So the one thing about coaching that I do wonder about is is this wise because you're struggling and and Dubnik's not playing great, but you're also the fact is your forwards aren't playing well, your defense is not does it make sense to keep playing him at that point or are you do, are you doing yourself a playoff disservice because he's not playing well and he does he does look tired the the problem here is this is also the issue when you have a backup goaltender who the head coach does not trust at all I mean at all he is he looks at Kemper and thinks to himself that's a complete waste have they done themselves a disservice by not at least having a backup goaltender who when you're going to play him you say you know what he's going to play well enough that I'm still going to start him
2: and I was looking at the numbers on this, too, and Darcy Kemper gives them a quality start, which is just one that gives you a chance to win, like a 9.15 save percentage, which yep. is league average. It's not above or below. It's just like, did he give just you the a backup call Right. Yeah. Did he give you an okay save percentage? Uh-huh. He's done that less than 40% of the time. Now, the best goalies in the league do it about 60 to 70% of the time. So you can't even every other game, if you're Darcy Kemper, give your team a chance to win. That's pretty sad. And I had suggested one other move other than Martin Hansel, which we're going to get to. Uh, I had suggested that the Wild try to find a better backup goaltender at the trade deadline. It seems like a silly thing to do. Like Why would you want to? different backup goaltender the guy's gonna play five or six games but if it's somebody who's got a history and is reliable then you can rest your starter down the stretch and not lose a whole lot and in this case not having trust in darcy kemper has caused boudreau to go back to devin dubnik which i think is a serious mistake dubnik has played the most games of anyone in the nhl over the last two years yep That's with a guy who never did that before. For the first three, four, or five years of his career, he was not an every-game, 60-start-a-year starter. And even in the year he was super great, he started like 55 games. And then the last two years, it's been ramped up. And every other team, except for Washington with Braden Holtby and and the Rangers when Lundquist is healthy, but those guys have proven they can do
0: it. Like Every other team is dialing things back on their starting goaltender. And and the starting point of this is... If Dubnik's not playing well, nothing else matters. W- when you start the playoffs, if if your goal scoring comes around and your goaltender's not playing well, it doesn't matter. So so we can fixate on the four lines. We can fixate on defense. But if Dubnik's not making saves where, where he can win you a game or two per playoff series, you're going home, right? Is there anything in Boudreaux's past that you've seen, too, uh, that that would indicate, for as good a coach as he's been, that there's a bit of uh, Dusty Baker with with pitchers there, too? Because I do think, especially veteran head coaches in in hockey, I do think the one thing that they can struggle with is goaltending, because they don't understand them, they don't get it, and ultimately they say win me games, but I don't think that they necessarily know how, how the sausage is made. Is there in, anything with his past coaching hit history that leads you down a path to say, if there's a weakness here coaching-wise, it's understanding – and and knowing goaltending. It
2: was a couple of years ago with Anaheim where they played three different goalies in two playoff series. I think it was Frederick Anderson, Jonas Hiller, and John Gibson.
1: Yeah, you're right. I
2: and remember that. they put in Gibson for a game 7 and he's maybe 19 or 20 years old at the time, and which he is a
0: hot prospect, right?
2: Right. For goaltenders yeah. is I mean, that's really super young. For regular players, for Connor McDavid, it's fine. But for goaltenders, they don't hit their prime until like 27. Many of them don't even debut until like 24 or 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So to be playing him with that kind of pressure at that point was probably a big mistake. And it seemed like he struggled with that in Washington, too. There was Jose Theodore and there was Michael Neuvirth And it's not, that, it's not that you can't um change goalies in a playoff series we saw chicago do it uh, against nashville when he uh, worked out perfect it, uh, right darling came back and right darling came world. in and yeah. he filled in just fine so it, i mean it happens sure. now and then where you start somebody else and we even saw pittsburgh get away with it last year starting mark andre Fleury, which probably allowed matt murray to kind of catch his breath and come back in and play better and, and i think that I mean, that's the biggest thing, too. I mean, you think about it with Matt Murray in that situation. He had never played that many games at that point. Mm -hmm. And now you've asked Devin Dubnik over the last two years to play way more games than he's ever played before. And you're instead of resting him when he's struggling, you're pushing him harder because you can't trust
0: your backup but also because you think oh he needs to work himself that's out That's what I was going it. to say. I think that's a perception. I think the old school ho- hockey coach says more shots the better cuz my guy's going to start t- to get hot. I think the reality if you prob- probably do a statistical analysis of this, the reality is if you give him a break, it helps him. Cuz it gets a breath there and some confidence didn't um I, I heard a story a couple of days ago. Didn't the Blues that this year send send their goaltender home for like a week? Allen, hmm. I think he was playing just awful, and they finally either said go home or something. And at first, it seems like whoa, that's a drastic move. But but it helps. He's playing great right now. There's a. Bit- been studies about backups and how often they play
2: and playing guys on every other day and the effect that it has on starters and it's almost across the board every study that's ever been done finds more rest equals better performance for starters I mean there's a curve on that like you well, don't want to sure. you don't want to start them 15 games a year but if if you're giving improper rest goalies in general are much better not having to play back-to-backs and things like that so when I saw Dubnik being put in for a back-to-back, it's like, okay, at this point in the season, when you've got the most compressed schedule, this is probably hurting him. And that's you can almost track it. The schedule has gotten more compressed, games closer together, and all of a sudden the goalie is performing worse and worse and worse and worse. Yep. And you think about the minute details that go into whether you have a 930 or a 910 save percentage and how small those differences are between winning a seven-game series and losing one you want your guy at 100% and i'm a little concerned that bruce Boudreaux isn't going to do that because he's going to be so frustrated with It's getting late his right team. now
0: yeah got not you got 9 games left and the problem is though that we, we all saw kemper start against the canucks here and it's awful yeah it's and awful. and i'm not i'm not saying that all those goals i think there were four scored in the second period i'm not saying that they were all terrible goals but you can't you can't count on, on him to make saves and and you can just see the wheels turning and the confidence is gone yes i would say that they definitely they thought to themselves we'll get by what they didn't think to, to themselves is we've got a head coach now who essentially won't tolerate really bad goaltending which is what you're going to have to put up with at times from Kemper.
1: this is jeff o'brien attorney with the loman abdo law firm with a case in point sidebar On May 11, 2016, the Defend Trade Secrets Act went into effect. The act extends the current Economic Espionage Act of 1996, which criminalizes trade secret thefts to the civil arena. This means for the first time, trade secret owners can now bring suit in federal district courts without having to resort to another basis for jurisdiction. While not without critics, the act is a major step forward in the protection of intellectual property in the United States, not least because federal law now fully recognizes four types of intellectual property, patents, copyrights, trade Marks and now trade secrets. Minnesota Statutes Chapter 325C also provides a civil cause of action in state court for the wrongful misappropriation of trade secrets. If your business has been victimized by the misappropriation of its confidential information, contact an attorney to determine if you have claims under either federal or state law. This is Jeff O'Brien, attorney with the Loman Abdul Law Firm with a case-in-point sidebar. And the
2: two things are interconnected, too. I think we often look at goaltending as like a separate part of the game from what else is going on offensively, that it's like offense-defense, right? Right. But if you have a goaltender who stops anything and you can trust a two-on-one everyone feels more confident to step up in the play than if you make a mistake that your goaltender is going to bail you out. So when your goaltender begins to struggle, this is how you could see it the toilet water circling, right? It is well like, All right. So you've got, you know, this is happening with your goaltender and now you can't take as many risks, but when you try to play safe, that's when you make mistakes and down and down and down and down. And there's a very good possibility that they just get it back together here in the last couple games and go into the playoffs feeling good. But the thing with the goalie, it concerns me because of his trend. If his trend was, well, he struggles, then he bounces back, he struggles, then he bounces back, then I would say, well, okay, he'll probably be fine. But if he hasn't performed well since really like December, that puts a little more concern in my mind. Uh, With Martin Hansel, you've declared the trade a bust already? No, no,
0: I have not. I wrote a column last night. I said so far it's a bust. And, And by the way, to be very clear, three parts here. (laughs) <laughs> one is one is if if you're Fletcher and you can go back and make that trade again, you do it. He added depth at center. It's hard to find. Okay? So I am not saying that that, that he made a bad trade. He made what I considered at the time, even though you gave up a lot traffic wise to be a good trade, Tyler Grayevac was your center. You replaced Tyler Bleeping Grayevac. Upgrade right there. Number two, the reason I sat down to write the column was I have heard suggestions in the past week or two that, man, did they upset the chemistry when Hansel and White were obtained. That's BS. You gave up draft picks. Now, if you had taken a fourth-line right wing who was beloved, I might say, okay, I sort of get it because Joey was beloved by his teammates. You didn't take anyone out of that room. If a group of adult human beings can't take two new guys being introduced to their team, one of whom should be an upgrade, that's their problem. Now, Martin Hansel's not played great so far. He is, and I get the fact, he's not fast. He still gives you depth. Uh, He's got one goal in 13 games. He got sick as well. Has he played as well as I thought he might? Absolutely not. But part one and two of the column is the trade has been a bust so far, but Fletcher made what I still consider to be a wise trade. And what really frustrates me is this notion of the chemistry of this team was, was upset. If they're that weak, they do not deserve to be in the playoffs. That was my, that's my primary source, Collar, of frustration of saying that putting two guys in that room might have thrown off the Minnesota Wild. Well, if that's the case, think about that. Well, think about how
2: weak that is. There's also something else to it, too, with Martin Hansel, that when you give up a first-round pick, I think the you know expectation is that he's going to come in and be an immediate game-changer, that while we are going to have just this big upgrade, he's got seven points. He's only got one goal, but he's got seven yep. points in 13 games. Yep. Well, that's more than Tyler Graevac had the whole yeah, season, it, and he's got an, that in 13 games. That was an upgrade. So, so he can produce depth scoring for you. It's just that other players have not held up their end of the bargain. I if might, if he was doing this, if he had 7 points in 13 games and everybody else was still hot, you'd be like, what a trade! He's done exactly what we wanted him to do, providing
0: might, this depth. I might be tempted, uh, just because this guy actually, when, when his responsibility and confidence goes up, is better. I might be tempted to flip-flop Holla and Hansel. Holla got demoted to, to a fourth line. Eric is one of these sort of weird players where where when he's asked to do a very specific thing or to play, he's pretty good. But you can see the dauber get down really quick. Uh, I don't think it would be that that big of a deal for a few games at least to flop them. Um, But that being said, once again, when they made that trade, it was a good trade. And I still think that the trade was a smart trade. It has not paid off so far. It was also made for the playoffs. My concern is what we've seen so far, not just from Hansel, but this entire team, is a team that, unless they can get things turned around here pretty quickly, does look ill-prepared for any type of playoff run. On your point about Eric
2: Howla, this is another concern when you trade a first-round pick. Even though Bruce Boudreaux would probably tell you 100 times out of 100, no way, we just play the best guys that fit in the best places. And... Hansel, they need to play him with different guys in different spots to see how it works out to get a sample size on that. But when it was Parisi and Pominville and Howla on the third line that was a great line. We
0: talked about that several times. Yes.
2: Speed in the middle, the two older guys who win puck battles on the side, especially Parisi winning puck battles. Pominville puts a lot of shots on net, smart player. Mm-hmm. You, it's a great combination, and I wouldn't want to break that up because it has enough speed in the middle to be difficult for other third lines, but also enough scoring ability on the, third, uh, on the wing to also – be very tough on most uh, depth lines for any team. And Hansel, as a fourth-line center, can beat almost every fourth-line center in the league. Right. But if you think about it, Pittsburgh ran out Matt Cullen. He scored 32 points from the fourth-line center last year. That's what you need to do to go deep in the and playoffs. Lines you are fine. have that guy.
0: Fourth-lines are fine now. Right, right. I, not I think the perception bruising. is the, the old school, well, the fourth line's a bunch of guys that suck. No, right. that's not true now. Right. If you're going to win in the playoffs, ideally, you go four deep. And they're all good. So that's what Hansel should be. He should be the fourth-line center, in my opinion.
2: And then you have good players on every line, and he can get really advantageous
0: matchups. Because if he sure. is facing most fourth-line centers, he's going to be better than them. And they look slow. Right now, if you consider yep. if you consider the, the conversations that, that, that we had a couple months back, I think one of the key parts of those conversations was, look how fast this team looks. Mm-hmm. And look how they move. And now, I mean, there, there was a time... When they were playing their best collar, where I thought that, that that they looked a little bit like the Spurs do in basketball, which is the puck movement was fantastic. They looked fast. If you look at, at how they come in the zone now, for instance, or go through neutral, it looks entirely different. It looks slow plotting. In, in a game against the Flyers l- last week, there were at least two occasions, and Granlin did, did, did this once, and he's a smart player, where they iced the puck simply because they basically didn't look up. Mm-hmm. Like they'd get near center and dump it, and it's icing, and it's and you say to yourself, a month and a half ago, that never happened. Right. That was always an entry, and it's just, and it's small stuff. I mean, it's very, very small, but it it adds up. It's like the Stort pass. I mean, Stort makes this stupid pass, and instead of a scoring chance in the San Jose end, it goes back on a two on one. Well, yeah, that's a small thing, but ultimately a big deal.
2: Yep, and I think all of that is a product of them being worn down. And so we'll see. But all teams how, are tired, though. I yeah, mean, I, well, I, I think that's no. Such but a, all teams are not as tired. I mean, think about the small differences between. The
0: thing, I agree. But, by the
2: way, but even just the schedule, like the small differences that happen between one team to the next. In a salary cap era, the amount of talent is so close among these good teams that. Even if you have a Flyers team with a lot of talent, I mean that's a that's a non-playoff team, but like use finger quotes. They've got Voracek and oh, they've, they've got the Giroud. The they've yeah. got yeah, they've got they had yeah. bad goaltending all year. If they had decent goaltending, they would probably oh, and weren't in that division. It's a very Steve tough Mason. Metro. Yeah. they have, but that's a good team. So okay, if they're more rested than you over a pretty long stretch of time, and your coach has been mad and running you into the ground. Like, that's going to be a pretty tough
0: matchup. The Black- I keep coming back to it. The Blackhawks had their uh, bye a week after these guys did. And if you look at it, I believe the Blackhawks now, they did have the advantage in very early March of an extended, like, four-day break. But besides that, the schedules are o- almost match up as far as back-to-backs on weekends, and I think they played during the week every other day. And in both those cases now, the Blackhawks, for, for the most part, have played very well. Um, it's just that I get that they're tired and on the goaltending conversation, I think that that's intriguing because I think that I would rest him. All of that being said, I just I feel like this this wild team is using too many excuses as a whole, as a whole. And at some point in time, you're going to be—I mean—you're going to go into the postseason tired. It's really really simple. So the question is, can you overcome that? Because if you can't, you're going to play a round of the playoffs and then. You, And then you're going to go home, and I'm sorry, but I'm sticking with what we talked about a few months back, which is anything short of a conference finals for a team that played as well as this team did for an extended period of time, to me, is going to feel like a disappointment.
2: It really is. completely agree with your statement. And their overall numbers for the whole season are still right up there with Chicago and San Jose that would point you toward those are the favorites, which is what I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. Who are your Stanley Cup favorites from the East and West? Why don't oh, you give me? Hold on. Or did you write down just just no, overall? No, no, no.
0: I'm going to pull out my. while well, you have your phone out. I'm going to pull out my old school Star Tribune and look at the standings What's I got uh? What's this me.
2: paper thing you okay, have? This is uh, a sports page. In I don't.
0: Fact, I used to work at this place. I what this is, is, called is a sports page? Let me show you. Never. It's got, uh, a whole, it's got pages of sports information on it. In we call this ink. Hmm, do you have to scroll? It gets a, no, no, no no, scrolling, no, but you no do scrolling? have to unfold. I don't like See, that. I'm holding a newspaper. Not it's a big, called a broadsheet right now, Matthew Collick. I
2: I don't know what to do with it. It okay. looks confusing. looks like you might get hurt on it. It could get paper, paper cuts. Paper cuts. Paper cuts are brutal. Okay,
0: let me give it to you. Okay. I am actually... Uh, now, I, I did watch the uh, Hawks and Tampa Bay last night. What an OT, by the way. Hawks get up three or four to one. Tampa Bay, which is out of the playoff picture right now, but is really, really playing well, comes back, ties it, and wins in a three-on-three OT that is fantastic. That's an aside. My predictions are this. Western Conference Finals team. I think underrated, makes a run, Edmonton. Mm -hmm. However, my Western Conference Finals team is actually, drumroll, Bruce Boudreaux's former team.
2: Ah, And really? Ducks, wow.
0: 93 points, playing extremely well. Randy Carlisle, a hard ass, but he knows how to coach. Playoff time comes. Supposedly, it's a softer, gentler Carlisle now. Hmm. The Ducks, I like the Ducks. The Ducks represent the Western Conference. From the Eastern Conference, I'm going to go to a fallback, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I, I can't believe in Washington until they actually do it. So it's very tough, but I'm going to go Pittsburgh and the Ducks right now.
2: I will say Washington in the East, but my sleeper would be Tampa Bay because they're playing extremely well. They're playing like the way they should have. He's a
0: hell of a coach, by the way. He gets a lot from that team.
2: And they had Stamkos go down, and yep. also Nikita Kucherov deserves to be acknowledged as an elite player, one of the top guys in the league. He's over a point per game, and he's picked it up really well since Stamkos went down. It's just that nobody else on that team had until recently, but he's been incredible, is and Victor he, Hedman,
0: too. Is is he the best player in the league that people don't talk about? Oh,
2: easily. Easily, Because McDavid yes.
0: gets a lot of attention yep. despite being And I think it's because he's, he's
2: Russian, and he wasn't a top pick. He was a second-round pick, and I think that's part of it. Plus, plays in Tampa Bay, but you can get star power in Tampa Bay, but he's still overshadowed by
0: Stamkos. Kane, I, I guess, they, they asked him about Kucherov, and Kane said, yeah, we've got similar shots, but his snapshot, better than mine. Mm-hmm. And, and they went to Kucherov, the, the play-by-play guy last night, said at some point in time, he asked him, why don't you shoot more? He said, because I'm Russian. We look for the best play, not the best shot. That's a great... But basically, I guess his coaches have said, just shoot. Yeah, that's a great answer. Just quit passing. That's a great answer, but he needs to shoot more. Actually, Nikita Kucherov
2: played the best American Hockey League game that I have ever seen. I used to cover the AHL, so I've seen, I don't know, hundreds of uh, AHL games, and went to Syracuse one night to watch them play the Rochester Americans. He scored four points, had the puck the entire game, dominated completely, and I walked out of there thinking, like, this guy is going to be a freaking star. Like, you know right away when they're playing pro hockey and dominating like it's
0: junior. And that the puck right, doesn't this guy, come off their stick. Yeah,
2: this guy is going to be a star.
0: Is that what Tarasenko could be if he applied himself on a nightly basis, do you think? Well, he's got the shot. I mean, when I see Tarasenko apply himself, he's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. However, having seen the series that they played, um, that the Wild beat him in the first round two years ago, he doesn't apply himself on a night-by-night basis. He's a really good player. I, but I, I was also told that he's really doughy as well, so I'm not sure he's in the best mm, shape. Yeah, I don't know. Kucherov
2: does it a lot with his smarts. You know, I mean, he is. That answer doesn't really surprise me. He is. I think he's a smarter player than Tarasenko. Sure. Tarasenko is a very physically gifted player. I don't know if he's on the same level of uh, hockey IQ as Kucherov, who can control the entire game um, and not the same level of passer either. I think Kucherov's a great passer. Here, I'll
0: give you my sports page. Uh,
2: Western Conference. Tell me what teams you got. Western Conference, I'm sorry, but I think Chicago. That's fair. I, I know, but it's just, it's that's so we'll annoying. That's out, so but... annoying, but I think it's Chicago. Like, Anaheim's a good choice. I, San Jose is drifting back just like the Wild, but San Jose is still strong. I agree with your sleeper, so I'll just pick a different sleeper, which is Calgary. Calgary might have yes. the second best defense. In the league, maybe. And speaking uh, with of goaltending, Giordano
0: and Dougie Elliott's Hamilton. playing well now. He's finally gotten he it back together. Was to bad start, but he's playing
2: well now. But, you know, you lo- you start to look down the standings a little bit and go, "All right, what teams could surprise us?" And the answer is almost all of them. Edmonton, Calgary, both good. Nashville's got some underlying numbers that are intriguing, and St. Louis is playing a lot
0: better now. St. Louis has started to come along under Mike Yeo. So if you're Boudreaux, uh, assuming that that the Wild. Maintain second place. They are uh, going into Tuesday night's game against Washington. They're six points up on the Preds. Would you rather have a two-three matchup against the Predators, or would you rather have St. Louis jump the Preds? Mm. I think I would rather face St. Louis. Interesting. I'm a little bit more of a Nashville guy, just based on I don't know what what to make of Nashville's goaltending, and Allen's playing really well right now. And Yo Yo does have a system where he can win around for sure that defensive system and it seems to be it seems to be bought into right now cuz of course they got their coach fired and that that always helps
2: Nashville's blue line would scare me to play against for seven games i mean not just pk subban but eckholm and ryan ellis yep. and like, they can really control the game from the back yeah, yeah. i could see that but western conference playoffs are going to be they're just so close. I mean even the even the teams that are at the bottom, one of them's got Connor McDavid. And yep. right? I mean they they're one of the worst playoff teams and they have the best player and in the entire wait. Western
0: Conference. I can't wait until until NBC's channels are forced to show him. <laughs> McDavid, <laughs> yeah. the
1: fact that NBC
0: yes. uh, SN, I believe has not carried an Oilers game all season long is an absolute crime. I don't care that they're not in the states. Connor McDavid and Eichel in Buffalo are two guys that should be showcased by this league. Eichel, I saw, I saw his hi- highlights last night again from their win over uh, Florida. Watching him is so much fun.
2: It's incredible. I got to see McDavid when he was in junior. A couple, oh, did you really? Yeah, multiple times. And it oh, wow. was cool. the craziest thing you've ever seen. Where? Because he played for Erie, which was only two and a half hours from Buffalo. Or oh, wow. Two hours from Buffalo. Okay. And they played a game in the Sabres Arena that I went to also. And he scored a bunch in every game. Just... Uh, I also saw him in a top prospects game where the opening face-off that he took, he won the face-off, got the puck himself, and flew all the way down to the other end of the ice, walked around a top defensive prospect, and created a scoring chance. Like, okay, this is the top prospect game, and he just blew by And the everybody. Wild has
0: shut him down, by the way. They have. They've I done a very he good has, job. has an assist in two or three games. Yeah. That's not going to last. Don't count on that. All right. Hey, l- last question for you. Okay. What do you do about the playoff structure? Uh, because once uh, put a bomb in it once and again, let it explode and burn to death. Once again in the in in the Metropolitan Division, uh, it's a this year Washington Columbus and Pittsburgh. Uh, so at, as of right now, the 2-3 would, would be the Jackets and Penguins. Basically, you're going to have a top team, a team that should be featured as the playoffs go on. Bounced in the first round. What I don't understand is why the owners would be okay with this. If you own the Columbus
2: Blue Jackets, you've got to be like, we've been bad for a super long time, and we really need the cash of the did playoffs. Did think
0: about this when uh, they did this? I,
2: I have no idea. Because this happens every year now. Because it's so common sense that an NHL official could come up with it, that you should just have one play eight and two place. I mean, how is this hard? It's the well, simplest the, system in the whole
0: world. They're trying to put a premium on the divisions and, and the realignment Matthew, I actually like, like the, the wild used to be in with what was it? Edmonton and Calgary and Vancouver. And it's like, there's no rivalries there. So I like what they've done to the divisions, But the playoff system itself is nonsensical. You can't have these teams. You can't have these top teams getting bounced. If I'm TV, I'm like, what are you doing? You're taking your conference finals and giving it to me in the first round, and then a team's bounced? It's nonsense. It's got to be redone.
2: Just put it in a spaceship and shoot it to the sun. It's the worst thing in the world. In sports, anyway. Lots of bad things. I was going
0: to say, it's not the worst thing in the world. I got, got worst things for you.
2: Other than in the NCAA tournament when the ball goes out of bounds with a minute left and it takes them a month to figure out whose finger it went off of when we can all see it, that's pretty bad.
0: Oh, we play uh, sports. You in, get into replaying yeah, sports? That's, that might Offs- be worse. Off-sides. Review Off-side it or not. Reviews. Oh, my gosh. Get rid worst. of it or not. Worst. Offside reviews. Get rid
2: of them or not. Only the NHL. Can make these horrendous decisions when everyone has, I think, the one-track mind. What you were talking about with highlighting your stars better, yep. seeing scoring go up by bringing power plays back into the game, not allowing stars to be mauled, really cracking down there—they've done a pretty decent job, but still not good enough. And that's what—that's what fans want. They don't want to know if the guy's skate blade
0: was a centimeter off the ice as he came in. That, please, how many millions freaking of goals. Have been scored previously through the years, or thousands and thousands of goals, I should say, have been scored that were offside too. That's all I can think of now. When when we say was the guy doing this or doing that, all I can think of is there must have been seventy-four illegal goals scored in forty-seven. Yeah, there must have been all of these <laughs> goals through the years scored. Yeah, I,
2: but who cares? And by the way, the rules. This is what this is what I've always thought, though. With that, yeah, who cares? Like. Who cares if there were a bunch of illegal goals scored?
0: They
2: were goals. Like, who cares? Like, was anybody mad about it? Did like, did the other side who it was scored on go? Well, I don't know. He was one inch offside. So, man, I'm like, <laughs> we, like that's the only reason he scored. I can understand on a breakaway where they completely miss it. Sure. But even the team who gets scored on goes. Well, yeah, we've got a goalie and defenseman, and if he came in over the line and five to eight seconds later they finally scored, that's really on us. That's yeah. not on his skate blade being. Two inches off the ice.
0: I didn't mind this system too much until, was it the Blackhawks game when we had at the X? Some game. We had a a six-and-a-half-minute review, and I said to myself, okay, you can't have this. You can't ask people to sit there while you idiots get on cell phones and Mm. call central booking in freaking new york <laughs> we can't have this that's, that, that, my, that's
2: another that's my major rant. major problem i can't wait thanks thanks for getting me excited for the playoffs judd the horrendous uh, system and oh, the then system's awful instant replays nightly just
0: redo it it's not hard to redo you're right one versus eight
2: other than that a very sunny hockey adventure we went on yeah, oh to. yeah it's really
0: really sunny <laughs> with the wild completely going down the drain
2: all right we'll uh, catch you next week on the Matt and Bye. judd hockey adventure